Our first scripture reading this morning is from the 17th chapter of Jeremiah, found on page 676, if you're following along in the Old Testament, of your pew Bible. That is page 676, if you'd like to follow along. Thus says the Lord, Cursed are those who trust in mere mortals and make mere flesh their strength, whose hearts turn away from the Lord. They shall be like a shrub in the desert and shall not see when relief comes. They shall live in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. Blessed are those who trust in the Lord, who trust is the Lord. They shall be like a tree planted by water, sending out its roots by the stream. It shall not fear when heat comes, and its leaves shall stay green. In the year of drought, it is not anxious, and it does not cease to bear fruit. The heart is devious above all else. It is perverse. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, test the mind and search the heart to give to all according to their ways, according to the fruit of their doings. May God bless the reading and hearing of his word. Thank you. 
This morning's sermon is nowhere near that good. <laughs> but I'm going to preach it anyway. Uh, we're in Luke still. We're on the 6th chapter. We're going to take a look at the 17th through the 26th verse. So um, listen or read along or think good thoughts while I talk. Jesus came down with him and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea, Jerusalem, and the coast of Tyre and Sidon. They had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases, and those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. And all in the crowd were trying to touch him, for power came out of him and healed all of them. When he looked up at his disciples, he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you, revile you, defame you on the count of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for surely your reward is great in heaven. For that is what their ancestors did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you will be hungry. Woe to you who are laughing now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all speak well of you, for that is what their ancestors did to the false prophets. The Gospel of the Lord. Join your hearts with me as we center ourselves through prayer to hear as God's Spirit would speak to our hearts. Open our hearts, O Lord, and make them pliable to your word. Whatever deflections or distractions we have in our heads or our guts or our hearts, allow them to be whispered away so that we may center on your word to us. For you have the words of life eternal. To whom else should we go? Even Christ our Lord. Amen. Uh, Dr. Susan Simard is famous for her work with trees. Google her when you get home and watch a TED Talk or two or look up an article, S-I-M-A-R-D, Suzanne, that's with a Z, Simard. She is a famous tree researcher, and much of her research is elegantly summarized in a book by Peter Wollenben called The Hidden Life of Trees, What They Feel, How They Communicate, Discoveries from a Secret World. I think I still have Joe Yount's copy. I'll give it back now that I'm just about done with the sermon. What fascinates me about Dr. Simard's work is how her deep analysis into the interdependence of trees in a forest. The trees actually chemically communicate with one another. We think the trees sort of stand alone. She said, no, it's way more complex than that. The, the, the mushrooms, the fungi in the soil underneath give off chemical signals that then attract the tree roots to them. As the tree roots provide carbon for the fungi, and the fungi produce nitrogen for the trees. The fungi cannot do photosynthesis, so they need the food that the tree roots give them, and the trees need the nitrogen so that they have this symbiotic relationship. But more than that, 
through the network of the fungi underneath of the forest floor, trees actually communicate with one another. And so there is this huge, fascinating, subterranean conversation that goes on in the forest floor. As you take one step into the forest, she says, there is 300 feet of network communication. How does this work? Well, a simple example is that if a beetle begins to feed on some trees at one end of the forest, there is a chemical that is sent off by the wounded tree that travels through the air to the leaves of the other trees and through the root system of this communication that triggers the other trees to put off a chemical that makes them less tasty to beetles. Isn't that fascinating? And that when there is a tree in the woods that is struggling... The other trees, through this network, push more of their nutrients down towards the fungi that then produce more nitrogen that encourages the other tree to begin to thrive. There are mother trees in the forest that the tree recognizes the seedlings of its own offspring and will actually give preferential nutrients toward the tree that has fallen where the seed has grown next to them, and so they nurture, and there are mothers of the forest. Some of the largest, oldest growth trees are absolutely crucial for the nourishment and the communication into the rest of the forest. I read this and am just gobsmacked. When a tree falls in the forest, does it make a sound? It does. The rest of the forest hears that tree fall. What happens is as that tree begins to decay, it puts in the very nutrients that the living trees required to be continue in their thriving and their life. And in fact, when a tree falls and begins to decay, literally one-fifth of all life on this planet depends upon the rotting of the fallen tree. When a tree dies, we, the whole planet, lives. Now I give you this introduction about the forest because I think there is some message in this when we read the 17th chapter of the book of Jeremiah. It is the same metaphor that was used in our call to worship from Psalm number 1. Psalm 1 stands literally as the preface psalm to the following 149 psalms. That you read Psalm 1 and it sets you up to understand what are the themes, what's the purpose, what's going on, why should we look at this text? Because that psalm says that we are going to be like trees. Both the psalmist and the prophet says we are like trees standing by the water with our roots near the stream and the tree will not fear when the heat comes and its leaves shall stay green even in the year of drought. It is not anxious. It is not anxious. What an amazing metaphor. We are to be like trees that just don't worry. Good years, bad years, they're not anxious. It does not cease to bear fruit. Jeremiah and the psalmist compare the stability of the tree to the instability of a desert shrubbery. The wicked are like trees, they say. When the heat and adversity comes, they are driven away. 
They're like tumble and tumbleweeds. The righteous are like the trees. The wicked are like the desert shrubs. Both the prophet and the psalmist predict dire outcomes for the wicked. Don't be shrubs, they say. They write as if predicting the demise of those who do naughty things with even naughtier thoughts. But I think that their warning is is more than that. It's not just saying if you're wicked, your outcome will be like this. I think both the psalmist and the prophet are telling us, how do you tell the difference between the wicked and the righteous? There's a prescriptive prophetic quality to how they use these metaphors. They kind of cut both ways. They're helping us diagnose the difference between those who are wise and those who are foolish. And I see direct parallels in these words of Jesus here in the Gospel of Luke as in what is called the Sermon on the Plain. Luke chapter 6 has the Sermon on the Plain. You know the Sermon on the Plain, right? Thank you for choosing Presbyterian error. We know you have a lot of choices for your Sunday morning. We're glad you chose us. Please be confident with Presbyterian error. All our arrivals are predestined. We'll be cruising at an altitude about 30,000 feet. In the event of a loss of sanctuary pressure, a mask will fall from the compartment above you. If you're traveling with a small child, please place your own mask first and then assist your child. If you're traveling with more than one child, pick the one with the most potential. No, no, not that kind of Sermon on the Plain. The Sermon on the Plain is called that to contrast it with the Matthew Sermon on the Mount. Sermon on the Mount, Matthew, Sermon on the Plain in Luke. Higher place, equal place. But they're both extremely similar, except Matthew's sermon goes on and on and on, and Luke is just kind of a quick summary. I think Jesus probably preached the same themes more than once, and so he has a long one in Matthew, and when Luke records a sermon on the plain, it's a shorter version. It's like the Matthew recorded the Baptist service version. It just goes on and on and on. And uh, Luke provides kind of more of an Episcopalian reading for people who have disposable income and other things to do on their Sunday morning. Anyway, the theme is that Blessed are some, and woe to others. But both in the mountain and on the plain, Jesus' identification of the blessed ones is the opposite of what you might expect. In Matthew, Jesus goes on with a series. There are several, blessed are they, blessed are they, blessed are they. They're called the Beatitudes. Beatitude, that's kind of a strange word, Beatitude. Um, when I was a little kid, I thought it was called the Beatitudes because it was the attitudes we ought to be. In an odd way, that kind of worked and got me through a number of years before I found out that, no, it's actually just uh, from the old Latin root, root meaning beatification, to extend a blessing to someone, to honor them in a saintly way. But what it does mean to be blessed, I think, also requires a little explanation. Some translators translate this as, Happy are they, happy are the poor, happy are the peacemakers. And that's not a bad translation, but unfortunately the word happy in English carries kind of a a lightweight quality to it. The word literally means broad and stable are those. To be blessed in the literal sense in the original language was broad and stable. You get the image of, I don't know, a tree, branches and roots. You're going to be embedded in ways that will get you through the tough seasons and the good seasons. You're more like a tree to reach out 
to contain. So let's take this longer understanding of the translation and listen to it. Connected and stable is the image. So connected and stable are the poor. Connected and stable are the hungry. Connected and stable are those who mourn. Feel the difference? It says so much more than just happy or so much more than even blessed. The contrast. The contrast is woe to the rich, woe to the full, woe to the laughing ones. Woe. Now that's another word that we need just a minute about. We know we know what woe means, but we don't use it a lot unless someone is trying to be melodramatic. Oh, woe is me, and we all laugh because we don't use the word woe very often anymore, especially since very few of us ride horses or stagecoaches. So the word has kind of lost its sting. The Greek word here, I think, needs almost no translation. The Greek word is oi. It's that gut punch noise. Are the poor. Are the rich. Are the full. (coughs) Are those who are laughing. So, let's take this little experiment. You have two groups. You have the poor, hungry, sad group. Okay. And then you have the rich, fat, laughing group. Okay. These are the two groups. Now, let's turn up the heat and see what happens. Hmm. Seems like the poor, hungry, sad group is figuring out how to get by. The rich, fat, laughing group, not so well. Why is that? Why is that? Let me tell you what it's not. These texts are not some scriptural justification for class warfare. You can read it that way, but you'd be reading it wrong. God has a preferential attention to the poor, to the outcast, to the dispossessed, but not because God is fascinated by their poverty. God attends to them because they are far more receptive to the message. Now, the answer, I think, is in the character of trees. How is it that Jeremiah says, the trees do not fear when the heat comes, the trees do not fear the year of drought, they are not anxious. So why is it when Jesus would go to a party, he would always end up back by the kitchen sharing stories and jokes with the bus staff and the kitchen help? You ever notice that? He goes to a party. Where is he? He's over there talking to the help. And they're laughing and they're trading stories. And the really important guests, the, the bigwigs that are at the head table, uh, gets very little of Jesus' time It wasn't because Jesus somehow thought that the poor were cuter than the wealthy. Jesus just enjoyed them because they understood what he was teaching. They got it. Because when Jesus taught about interdependence, about the absolute necessity of trust, about support and mutuality, the poor, the hungry... The sad, they understood. They got it. What's the danger about being fat and happy? The danger is you lose perspective. You have this illusion of independence. You think you've figured it all out. Self-reliance is not a scriptural value. 
Self-reliance is not a scriptural value. The notion of rugged individualism is not a Christian concept. And the hiding right around the corner for those who are self-justified <coughs> was what happens when the justification for the self-value wither when the markets turn against them. Now that Greek word makes me choke. <laughs> we're not actually getting product placement reimbursement from Dunkin' Donuts. I just wanted to let you know. I wish we were, but because we've had a lot of Dunkin' Donuts cups around here this morning. When the market shift, who's in pain? My mom was born in 1923. My mom used to say that uh, if you were poor in August of 1929, and then the market crashed in September of October, your life in November had changed not at all. If you were poor before the market crash, you were just as poor after the market crash, your day looked pretty much the same. She said for those who were broke before the Great Depression, it was pretty much the same through the Depression. They were broke before, they were broke during, and they were broke after. But the shrub that's living in rich times, the one that's getting lots of attention and lots of fertilizer and lots of extra water, when the drought comes, failure, ruin, destruction. So the trees and the sagebrush. How can you tell the difference? How do you know the blessed ones from the endangered ones? It's in the roots. It's in the interdependence. Woe to those who preach self-reliance. Woe to those who express the expendability of others. We don't need you as Dan pointed out in his confession today, woe to you. Woe to those who claim they're self-made. They're heading into a world of hurt. Those who are poor, those who are hungry, those who are sad, they get it. They know we need each other. Like a tree planted near water in a forest, needing the lowly mushroom fungi down below, needing the nutrients, the connections, the interdependence of others. They shall not fear when heat comes. They shall not be anxious. Amen. Amen. We're going to do one of those interdependent forest things. We're going to offer our prayer requests and our joys and our concerns. We're going to reach out to each other like the roots of a tree or about the branches and leaves. Uh, you know, when a, a tree is shaded, and this is how uh, Dr. Uh, Semler did some of her work, she would shade trees and cover them up so they didn't get light, and then she would find out that the other trees were feeding those trees that were blocked with light through the root system to encourage them to be okay. Absolutely amazing. Guess what? That's just how... Prayer works through the Holy Spirit in the community of faith. You feeling a little shade this morning? 
guess what? There's some people around you who want to pray for you and give you the nutrients you need until you have a chance to be in the light. I want to share with you one joy, and that is uh, uh, Doreen DeJour and Brad want you to know that the cards and the calls and the emails and the Facebook post IMs have been amazingly blessed to them. Um, she just finished her first round of chemo. She said it took about six days to recover. On the seventh day, uh, like God rested, she felt a little better. And so her first round is behind her, but she wanted to let you know how much your, uh, your prayers and the tokens of expression of concern nourished her through this first round of chemo. Now, Susan Sedler, I saw your hand go up there. That's a, a wonderful connection. I did not know that, that when our church was founded in 1890, that Psalm 1 was read at the first service for our life as a congregation together. How cool is that? Our museum people are just learning tons of fun facts. That's great. Thank you, Susan. Others? Uh, Susan had read that. She wasn't there. Any others? Let's join, join our hearts together in prayer, shall we? Uh, just when we think we've figured everything out, oh Lord, just when we think we know how the world works and how we've been able to broker it to our advantage, um, something happens that reminds us that we are really significantly more fragile and frail than uh, we'd like to believe. And once we hit that, whether it's an illness or a downturn in finances, or the rejection of a beloved, or just some struggles with all the things that we wish we could get accomplished, how we respond to that will determine whether or not we can find blessing or pain and sorrow. When we suddenly realize that we have been interdependent all along and that we rely primarily upon your grace, but then through the many mechanisms that you have placed in this wide and wonderful world, we have hope that we will not be felled and anxious and wither and dry, but that by the grace that you have unleashed through others and through this wide world, we will find sustenance and hope. Forgive us, O oh Lord, when we have those seasons of richness and health, how quickly we decide that it's all ours and we deserve it. And then when we have those seasons of drought and weakness, help us retain the memory that it is the connection to others that allows us to live and move and have our being, for you have gifted us with one another. For the reminder that even a fallen tree nurtures the world around us. And for the reminder that what we do to care and to live and to love and to share extends way beyond our physical life to become blessings for generations to come. We hear, O oh Lord, the pain and plea of those who have loved ones who struggle, those who are struggling with health, emotional, mental, with financial limitations, 
Allow them to be connected and allow us to know what it is that we should send their way. That with our prayers go our hearts and with our hearts go our values. That they may be nourished and we might know health with them. For the joy of those who have found recovery. For the joy of those who have been near the brink and discovered that there was going to be healing grace and forgiveness Lord they become for us the grand matriarchs and patriarchs of faith as they extend the lessons they have learned that we might benefit from them that we too may flourish we thank you O Lord for the grandest tree of scripture the cross on which your son hung that we would be reminded that death can bring life, that your love extends beyond this mortal coil even into eternity, and that out of great tragedy is birthed grand and glorious hope. And so it is in his name that we pray together the prayer he taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Well, today's the Super Bowl. And I heard something a little startling today. Um, with the legalization of gambling, what used to be underground is now in the light. Um, once people figured out that they could be cut in on the action and make a little money, they decided the, the leagues used to say they didn't want any gambling because they didn't want the taint of possible corruption to affect whether or not the league was playing an honest game, and that was baseball and football. But then when they found out that people watched the game more intently when they had money on the game, and that the viewership went up. States that legalized gambling had higher viewership of sports than states that did not. And so now it's up for grabs because it's now a, a national obsession. Uh, and that means today, this very day, $7 billion is going to be wagered on the game. $7 billion. Now, it's a lot more complicated than just, you know, are the Bengals going to win or the Rams? You know, it's whether or not the uh, coin toss is going to go to the Rams, whether or not the first play of the first possession is going to be a pass, you know, whether, whether or not they're going to have a zone defense when they're, when they're close to the end zone. Every, everything is monetized in order. kind of tells you something about a game. It's not interesting unless you can have money involved in each and every activity. Um, We've already done it. No, no. I, well, the confession is curious. And that is $7 billion. Do you know what that would do? You know what that is? $7 billion would fund the entire Chicago public school system for about 11 months. The entire Chicago public school system, $7 billion. If all the money that went into gambling went into the public school system, um, we wouldn't have to pay property taxes uh, at, at the same rate because that money would be donated to the school system. Do you know that it would fund all of SNAP, which is, used to be called food stamps, the federal public food program, that $7 would pay for an entire month of every benefit in the country? Didn't you know that? 
$7 billion would cover one full month of SNAP for the entire nation. $7 billion would cover one half, six months, of all of the federal money that is spent on drug rehabilitation. Six months of drug rehabilitation nationally would be covered by that $7 billion that is going to be wagered today. Now, some people are going to get some of their money back. Some people are going to get a lot of money back. Most, most people won't get any money back. You know, the light bill in Las Vegas is paid by losers. Do you know that $7 billion would fund First Presbyterian Church of LaGrange for 10,000 years? <laughs> you want to bet? Yeah. <laughs> well, if it came as a lump, lump sum, we'd probably, you know, waste some of it at the beginning and only fund for 9,500 years. Here's my point. I'm, I'm not prudish about gambling. I, I'm always careful to not be critical of a vice that has never tempted me. You know, because I've got vices that tempt me, and so, you know, it's easy for me to be condescending. I, I don't like gambling. I don't find it fun. I don't re- find it rewarding. So I also don't want to be judgmental. But in my brief 33 years as a minister, I've seen way too many families devastated by gambling addiction. I've seen way too many families that have lost house. I literally lost their houses because one person in that home was unable to be able to control the uh, temptation of the wager. But but more than that, um, there is a misnomer, and I rely on uh, uh, Warren Buffett for this notion. Uh, my my own my own fellow Nebraskan, Warren Omaha, Warren Buffett. Warren Buffett says that the gambling industry is a misnomer. There is nothing industrious about gambling. Isn't that interesting? Five guys go and play poker all night long, and the same amount of money leaves the room that went into the money. It went into the room at the beginning of the night. You just have five, five tire guys with just tired guys with the same amount of money redistributed. So I, I wonder if we're oddly kidding ourselves into believing that something useful is happening just because we can skim a little taxes off the top or some you know, people can be employed writing algorithms for your application on your phone in order to be able to bet on whether or not they're going to punt uh, with fourth and two. Um, but there's a little telescoping step back that has to do with our offering today. We are really, really comfortable with stupid wasted money (laughs) the stuff that I buy during the week and I don't think twice about is embarrassing to me because I'll just go ahead and do it but if somebody comes up to me and asks for a couple of bucks so that they might be able to get some lunch or a cup of coffee or something I I parse that out like it's the last two dollars on the planet besides you know he, he may go spend it on drugs you're not going to buy a lot of drugs for two bucks, but I immediately begin to judge whether or not he is a better steward of my money than I am of my money. If you go to a car dealership and you're buying a new vehicle, you know very good and well the person selling you that vehicle is going to get a commission for that sale. It's how they eat, it's how they work. Do you ask them how they're going to spend their commission? And work with another salesman if you determine that they're using their commission foolishly. He's going to spend it all on Super Bowl bets, so I want to go with this other guy who tithes to his church. No, we don't. Why? Because we want the car. (laughs) We want the car. 
the evaluation, the thought, the thing I want you to carry around in, in your head or that I'm going to try and carry around in my head as the week unfolds is, am I a good stewardship? Am I a good steward of the money you've given me? You worked for that money. You thought about that money. You put it in a check and dropped it off at the office or put it in the offering plate or did it online and you worked hard. Am I a good steward of your money? Because guess what? Almost every dime I spend each and every day, you gave that to me. Am I a good steward of our interdependence? I'm going to think about that. I hope by the end of the week, I feel more like a tree than a shrub. Let's sing our praise to God. Mm -hmm.